Hey, it's Jeff, and I'm happy to announce that Skylar and I will be collaborating on a series of retreats in 2024 at Commune Topanga. The first one is happening April 5th through 7th. Now, these weekends are really designed to foster greater balance in your life. Now, well-being, as I've discovered in all of its expressions, springs forth from balance. We seek to balance our relationships, balance our budgets, and of course, balance our blood sugar levels. So if health emerges from balance, well, illness stems from imbalances, and we see evidence of imbalances all around us, from imbalanced immune systems and hormones to emotional disequilibrium. So if you break down the root cause of virtually all of our modern imbalances, you will find that they come from our convenience culture, sedentary, indoor, temperature-controlled lives filled with a surfeit of shelf-stable refined calories and a dearth of in-real-life connections. Well, these retreats upend convenience culture. They're all about realigning our biology to foster balance, homeostasis. So this will include movement like yoga and hiking sessions, focusing the mind through meditation and breath work, optional ice plunges and saunas, and enjoying delicious farm-sourced meals around big communal tables. I'll also be reading some of my favorite commusings as we snuggle around the fire at night. When's the last time you've been read a story? So I hope you can join us at our Balance Weekend Retreat. The first one is happening April 5th through 7th at Commune Topanga with support from our dear friends at Bevo Barefoot. So just go to onecommune.com retreat for more info. And I'll see you in the Santa Monica Mountains. Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasno. Okay, so last week I recorded an impromptu video for Instagram that captured my thoughts regarding the Joe Rogan Spotify situation. And subsequently, I was encouraged by members of my team to release that audio here as a podcast episode. Now, it may work better in video format. I'm not totally sure. Regardless, it is available on my Instagram, at Jeff Krasno, if that's your preferred medium. Now, I don't always like jumping into current events. That's not the core nature of this show. But as I explain, I feel a particular connection as a podcast host to this conversation. So I titled it Rogan Journalism and Free Speech. Thanks for listening. I am diving into the shark infested. Joe Rogan debate. And I'm not sure the world needs another viewpoint on this particular issue, but I do think I have a specific insight given that I am a podcast host. So I know what Joe does day in and day out. And I have interviewed folks across the spectrum of COVID. I've had microbiologists and ICU doctors on the show, like Roger Schwelt and Stacey Klutz, and author scientists like. Jonathan Berman, and then I've had people with diverging opinions, like Dr. Zach Bush, and I even had Robert Kennedy uh, on the show at one point. And you know, I actually exchanged, or my assistant 
honestly exchanged emails with Dr. Robert Malone uh, last August, and we had plans for him to come on the show, and then well, he got quite busy. Um, now, I will say that while I've built up a nice podcast of hundreds of thousands of listeners, Joe Joe's audience is tens of millions of listeners, so it's orders order of magnitude bigger. But I still, I think, have an insight into what it's like to host a podcast. Um, and then parenthetically, I also own uh, the property where Neil Young used to live in Topanga. So I feel an extra connection to this particular issue. And, you know, I'm really not here to either excoriate or uh, defend Joe. I'm really here just to make a case for journalism and how important good journalism is in this moment. Uh, because what good journalism allows us to do is flesh out complicated issues such that we can find agreement around facts, uh, an intersubjective understanding of the world. We might not ever uh, understand the world objectively, but intersubjectively such that we can cohere around basic facts. And then we can have good spirited public discourse and debates about policies and opinions emerging from those facts. And this is where Joe does uh, the world, I think, a great service. And all podcast hosts do this because it is a long format media. And when we're looking at complicated, multilinear, nuanced issues like COVID and vaccines or Afghanistan or now the Ukraine um, or, uh, or race, you know, what we need are complicated, long form, nuanced conversations. Okay. Otherwise, the alternative to that is soundbite memefied media where there is sensationalism or a particular incident that gives something plausibility and then that's wrapped in sensationalism and hyperbole with an editorial bias over the top deployed to leverage human negativity bias to maximize views and clicks to sell ads <laughs> that's what's happening um with Fox and MSNBC it's the same model and honestly it's happening with a lot of influencers too um for monetization as well as dopamine foraging. So what we really want are these long format mediums and, and that's why I love the podcast format because it really lets you flesh out an issue. Um, but if we're gonna, if we want those long format um, kinds of conversations, then we have to have a little grace at the same time. Because if you're going to sit down, as I have many times, and talk to someone, generally an expert that knows a lot more than you do about a particular issue, um, then over three hours, you're going to step in someone's bucket of shit or your own. I mean, God knows like how many stupid things that I've said over the last three years, like, you know, I'll be interviewing a doctor. It's like, what's, wait, glycogen or glycation or glucagon or what, you know, I'll misuse terms. I'll get mixed up for a moment. And then, you know, whatever, I try to go back and correct them if I can. But I think what we all need to recognize is that 
Joe does the world a service by excavating these complicated issues over three hours. And, you know, he's far from perfect, far from perfect. Um, and he needs to do better. And he knows that. Um, but still, it's like we need, if we want this kind of format, we need to have a little bit of grace. Also, just, you know, take it from my own experience. You know, a podcast host is a host, you know, just like you're hosting a dinner party and your guest is a guest. So you've often asked that person to travel to you and, uh, and basically devote their day to you and their expertise for you for free. Now, of course, Joe offers his guests a lot of value because he has an audience that's massive, but you're still a host. And if you're uh, hosting a dinner party and a guest shows up and they have a couple too many drinks, well, you, you know, you try to coddle them and appease them at first and give them some leeway and the benefit of the doubt. And then if they you know, go overboard and kick them out. But still, I'm saying that because it's a balance between giving your guest some leeway to promulgate or posit their opinion about something and then also know when the right moment is to challenge an opinion. And, um, and this is really where Joe needs to do better. And honestly, he admitted that he does in a very sort of authentic and candid video that he simply needs to be more prepared. Now, like I didn't go to journalism school. Um, Joe obviously didn't go to journalism school. So we sort of walked backwards into what we do. Um, but I have tried my best to embrace certain journalistic codes of ethics. You know, I do tremendous amount of research for every podcast. I read books, I read primary source data, I read clinical trial data. Um, you know, I read stringent publications, etc. I interview a lot of doctors, so it's highly technical and mechanistic. Um, you know, I try to uh, source from multiple places. I try to fact check. I try to issue core agendum, so corrections when I when I get something wrong. Um, and uh, and I'm just sort of more of a one man show. So you know, Joe just honestly he just needs to be more rigorous, and he knows this. And so you know, when you have um, a doctor like who's highly credentialed, like Dr. Peter McCullough or Robert Malone, and let me just say that many of the issues that they brought up on the show, um, on those podcasts over six hours, um, are completely legitimate issues to debate. There are absolutely legitimate public discourse that is needed around things like the efficacy of lockdowns and the efficacy of masks, specifically as it pertains to children, or whether we really need a booster after having been vaccinated and Omicron, or, you know, there's so much to flesh out there because this will likely happen again from a pandemic will likely happen again. We need to learn from this to do better. And the only way we're going to learn from it is if we're able to have conversations. So many of the issues that they raise are completely legitimate. But here's where I would really critique Joe, because if your guest says, well, natural immunity is foolproof, and if you get, you know, um, COVID, you'll never get it again. Well, you know, we just know that that's not true. So you need to be armed and ready 
with that fact. Or if a guest says, well, look at the Israeli study that shows that uh, natural immunity is six to 13 times better than, um, than vaccine-induced immunity. Well, if you know that study, and a lot of people do, honestly, then you can also point to the fact that that same study says that there is a greater level of protection with natural immunity plus one dose of an mRNA vaccine. Or there's another study, the Kentucky study, um, that shows that actually vaccine-induced immunity is stronger than natural immunity. I don't know what the answer is, but you need to be armed with that data. Or when someone says, hey, there was no attempt ever at the hospital level for treating patients with therapeutics. Well, that's just honestly not true. I mean, there's dexamethasone. That's off patent, not making anyone any money. Saved probably tens of thousands of lives. There was uh, remdesivir, which turned out to be not great, monoclonal antibodies. Or if someone says, hey, you know, hydroxychloroquine, you know, why was all that suppressed? Well, you know, actually it did have approval for a certain period of time, but when the clinical trial data emerged, um, like the recovery trial or the together trial, it showed that it didn't really work as, as a um, prophylactic or for treatment. Um, so, you know, I don't, again, I don't know what the answer is, but you need to be armed with that data to actually have a real debate. You know, yeah, ivermectin, there's been all sorts of meta-analyses um, that have supported it. There's been, you know, smart doctors like John Campbell or Tess Lowry that have presented data that seems to show that ivermectin is effective. On the other hand, there's also been um, double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized studies, highly stringent, gold-standard studies like the recovery trial that have, or the together trial, that basically were abandoned because they found that, that ivermectin was completely futile. So you just need to be prepared to have the debate and then have it and then allow for the other doctors to refute it. And I mean, Information and ideas are like genes, right? Under pressure, nature will select for the best ones, you know? Um, so, you know, it's like if you have a guest that's trying to like leverage emotionality by comparing, uh, you know, vaccine mandates or let's say an experimental vaccine to the Nuremberg codes, if you're basically um, kind of trying to elicit emotional response by saying that this is akin to Nazi doctors experimenting on unwilling Jewish prisoners in concentration camps. Well, you really need to challenge that, you know, because whether or not you think the vaccine is, is um, effective it did go through three clinical stage trials. It went through a gold standard, double blind, randomized controlled trial with 44,000 people in the Pfizer trial, 22,000 some odd people in the Moderna trial. And those results are published. And no, McCullough, when he said that the uh, emergency youth authorization was, um, was uh, manufactured for the COVID vaccine, well, that's not true. You know, it was deployed in Zika 
But unless you've done your research and know that, you can't then have that conversation on your show. And then, yeah, it was approved by the FDA. Now, do we need to take like side effects seriously, like myocarditis, which seems to occur in between 3,000 and 6,000 um, in that adolescent male cohort? Fuck yeah, we need to take that seriously. So let's have that conversation, but let's have it around you know, data and let, let the conversation be dynamic and be armed with as much information uh, and preparation and, and rigorous commitment to your work in order to flesh out the truth. Now, we need to have this debate. And uh, because if we censor this debate, it moves to the thinnest edges of the branch. Now, let me just first say that um, <laughs> the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. That's been well discussed <laughs> on the internet. Um, so Spotify can do whatever it, whatever it wants. Um, but we do need to understand the spirit of free speech. The spirit of free speech is to allow for a free exchange of thoughtful ideas in a public marketplace. But free speech is also not unfettered. Like, you know, whatever the famous thing is, you can't yell uh, fire in a crowded theater. Really, this was adjudicated in the Supreme Court, I think in 1969, the decision was Brandenburg versus Ohio, where, yeah, free speech is cool unless it incites violence or harm. So you need smart people in the room to determine like it, you know is having doctors with opposing views really inciting violence or harm well in this particular case with joe's interviews i don't think so i think people need a whole spectrum of information in order to make the best decisions for themselves and uh, i think it's like if you censor these kinds of conversations, if you basically deplatform them, where do they go? Well, they go to Candace Owens and they go to Alex Jones. They go to places where like January 6th was perpetrated by Antifa or Sandy Hook didn't happen. That's where they end up. Like legitimate conversations end up over there on the thinnest edges of the branch. And that just feeds binary opposition. It feeds the political invective. So we just we actually need to bring these conversations actually to the middle, not push them out to the sides. And so I support content moderation way over censorship. I think, you know, Spotify needs to be the adult in the room and say like, okay, like this information um, reflects certain opinions. And you need to, if you want to make up your own decision, you need a whole bunch of different educated and thoughtful opinions. But some of these opinions might not be supported by data. So, you know, that's it. And, you know, as far as it goes with like um, Neil Young and uh, Joni Mitchell and Brene, who's had a lot of different statements now, um, and other artists uh, who have decided to leave Spotify. That is not censorship. 
in my opinion. That is not cancel culture, in my opinion. Those are values-based decisions. And, uh, you know, I don't go to McDonald's because I don't support industrial animal agriculture or generally GMO agriculture. Um, and so I don't go there. Or Patagonia is a company that makes values-based decisions. Um, you know, they recently pulled out, I think, of Jackson Hole, Wyoming Ski Resort because they, the owner hosted an event with Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Matt Getz. So they made a values-based decision. And everyone... You know, it's particularly artists and creatives um, and writers who have been on the front lines of standing up for what they believe in, for taking stands, for taking values-based decisions. That's cool. You know, they should be able to decide what is in line with their own integrity. And so that's not censorship or cancel culture. In fact, we want people to be able to flesh this stuff out uh, in order to have a vibrant society, a vibrant ideas marketplace. And I'll just go back to this notion of like, again, journalism, real journalism has broken or is so important, first of all. And our media and the way it functions um, ha is broken. Ad revenue-based uh, media model doesn't function. Doesn't function well. Now, there are publications like the New Yorker and the National Review and even the New York Times, not all the time, that I think still are filled with great people, with great journalists who went to journalism school, who freaking care who are out on the front lines, generally not making very much money, trying to find truth and uncover fact and hold institutions to account. And journalists are very different than the media business. So we need to hold the institution to account to make it better and not burn it down and not burn down science, and not burn down liberal democracy. We need to make it better. And uh, one way to make it better, I think, is to support um, you know, platforms like Joe's and hold him to account, too, to make it better. And that's why, actually, I think what's happening right now is a really good thing, because I think he's going to up his game. <laughs> he already said he will, but I think he's going to up his game because he's been held to account. So I hope some of that makes sense. You know, personally, this whole debate and absorbing it has really made me commit to doing a better job and to being uh, more prepared, to platforming more thoughtful opinions, and to really try to instantiate a healthy uh, ideas marketplace. That's what I got. Peace. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to email me at jeffk at onecommune.com or follow me on Instagram at jeffkrasner and make my mom proud. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.
That's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasna, and I am here for you. Hey, it's Jeff. And when it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder and reach farther and go that extra mile. Well, this relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance for the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, You'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist right there in your pocket. If you're interested in this innovative service, I've got great news for Commune listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Dr. G. That's insidetracker.com forward slash DRG.